The year was 1944. The place was the Jewish concentration camp of Monowitz, otherwise known as Auschwitz III. Elie Wiesel, who was 15 years old at the time, can remember standing among thousands of other Jewish imprisoned onlookers as they watched and witnessed three of their own be sentenced to hanging. Now, this wasn't the first time in 15-year-old Ellie's memory that he had witnessed some of his own Jewish brothers and sisters be hung as spectacle by German Nazis, but this was the first time that a child was one of them. While Ellie is standing there watching in horror, he can remember that there was, there was someone behind him, some onlooker who was saying again and again and again, where is merciful God? Where is he? And no prick of conscience or feeling of guilt in those Germans stayed their hands. And that child, that boy, like the two men standing next to him, like millions of other Jews, died. All the while, that same Jewish onlooker kept on asking, for God's sake, where is God? Where is God? A question often asked by each and every one of us when we are faced with grief and suffering and death. It's a question that you would have heard if you were a guest at the funeral of Lazarus. Could not he, Jesus, the one who gave sight to the blind, have kept this man, our brother, from dying? Where was Jesus when we needed him most? Weren't we considered his friends? Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But we've asked those questions too, haven't we? Where is God? Where is God when the cancer spreads? Where is God when you lose your job? Where is God when you are fraught with worry and anxiety? Where is God when you are in pain and suffering? Where is God when it is your loved one in the casket? Where is God when you are on the hospital bed? Where is God when you face death? The thing is, though, is that when we ask God that question in times of suffering, pain, and death, the question under scrutiny is not really, as we heard in our song beautifully a moment ago, the question is not really, where is God? The question actually is, who is God? And at the funeral of Lazarus, our Savior, Jesus, the Lord of life, tells us, no, even better, he shows us, exactly who he is. Jesus' life in the face of death. Lazarus had been, he had been dead for four days by the time that Jesus showed up. 
Four days since he had been wrapped in burial cloths, his lifeless body and placed and sealed in a tomb. Four days of his sisters, Mary and Martha, grieving and mourning, painfully coming to terms with the the now bitter reality that they would continue their lives, their earthly lives, without their beloved brother. If only Jesus had gotten here sooner. I mean, they knew that Jesus could have healed Lazarus of his deathly debilitating disease. I mean, that's why they sent for him in the first place. But it seemed that Jesus got there too late. I mean, Jesus had proven time and time again that illness, disease, leprosy, driving out demons, none of those things were a problem for him. But death... Sure, walking on water, healing the sick, even calming storms with his voice. Not a problem for Jesus, but, but death. Suddenly it seems that death might just be a force too big for even Jesus to contend with. It seemed like Jesus had shown up too late. So you can imagine how mortified those funeral visitors were when Jesus then says that the tomb should be opened, right? Martha says to Jesus, but Lord, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there for four days. Jesus, my brother is four days dead. What could possibly be done for him now? Jesus lovingly and compassionately reminds this woman of something truly spectacular. Jesus says to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus was not about to let grief rob this grieving woman of a comforting promise that he had only moments ago reminded her in the chapter. But such is the nature of grief. It would rob us of such clearly confessed comforts and promises that our Savior gives us. And know that comforting promise was not, Martha, sit tight, I'm about to raise your brother and I'm going to make this all better. Because believe it or not, that's that's not what she needed to hear. Because as odd as it sounds, Lazarus was one of the few people who had not one funeral, but two Lazarus would die again. And what Martha needed to hear, more than that, that Jesus was about to raise her brother back to life, what what she needed to hear even more than that was who he is. Reminding her, directing her heart and her ears to the promises embedded in the very name of Jesus, Yeshua, the Lord, saves. Reminding her that her trust and her faith in him was not poorly placed. That not even death can separate us from the love of our God. That death itself is not greater than our God. 
The comforting promise that Jesus had just reminded her was this. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? But Jesus isn't just asking Martha. He's asking you. You know, it's, it's easy to believe such comforting words, believe who Jesus is when we're just the guests at a funeral, right? When we're, you're not the one hurting or suffering or in grief, but man, it is hard to believe when you are, is it not? When it's your cancer that's spreading, when you get the diagnosis, when it's your loved one in the casket, when you are on the hospital bed, when you are hurting, when you are suffering, when you are grieving, when you are faced with death. And in those moments, it's very easy to respond like Mary and Martha, like it's too late, like God didn't show up on time. You know, we, we're quick to take to prayer, in prayer, everything that is on our hearts and our minds. We take it to God and, because we know that it's beyond our ability to fix, beyond our ability to control. And suddenly, death, that uninvited guest in every home, when death breaks in, we suddenly feel that maybe death is just too big for God to take care of. You know, we tally up all the ways that death kind of violently uproots the routine of our everyday lives. We get this impression that, that some aspects of sin in this sinful, broken world are just too permeating for God to cleanse. Too big and nasty for God to carry away. Too broken for God to fix. Too chaotic for God to control. And all the while, Satan is there trying to use death as like a, a leverage to pry up and uproot your faith's foundation to get you to not ask the question, where is God, but doubt who is God. To divert eyes, hearts, and ears from the resurrection and the life and lead us to despair and rob us of hope that is ours forever. And so we find ourselves asking similar questions. Will I really see her again? Will God really raise him on the last day? Can God really restore my broken body? Can God truly give me life that lasts forever, even into eternity? Eternal life and communion with God was always God's agenda. It was always part of God's original plan. Sin, suffering, and death were not. I mean, this is the God, the divine artist, that awesome, amazing architect who, having finished his work, stands back and says, it is very good. We were the ones who said, not good enough. 
You see, God created us not just to be physically alive, but to be spiritually alive too. And with the fall into sin, sin, suffering, and death would accompany the life of every single human being, including ours. And not just physical death, but spiritual death. And what do we mean by that? Well, the Bible tells us that by nature we are born spiritually blind, deaf, and dead, spiritually enemies of God, only deserving of his wrath and punishment. Spiritually blind in that we would, we would fumble around this world left and right, unable to find God, unable to see God or know God. Spiritually deaf in that we would listen to anything but God's word. We would run after the wisdom of this world and build our hopes and our dreams and our success, our, our accumulation of wealth, our relationships, our happiness. And when pain would enter, suffering and sadness, and when death would face us, our foundation crumbles. We'd turn up empty. We would stand before a holy, righteous God, empty-handed, empty-pocketed, with nothing to give him or earn his grace. Because we, as spiritually dead people, born sinful, could not have or give ourselves spiritual life. Because we were part of the problem. Those who are spiritually dead cannot give themselves spiritual life. Those who are spiritually dead cannot rectify or reconcile their broken relationship with God. Those who are spiritually dead cannot undo death. But Jesus can. And Jesus did. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Think about that. Who else other than Jesus could go into a funeral and turn the entire event on its head from grief and mourning to joyous celebration of life? Think about that. Jesus walked into a funeral, tells a tomb four days closed to be open, and then speaks life to a dead man. And that dead man gets up and walks out of the tomb. No one but the resurrection and the life could do that. But if you're amazed at that, look no further than the waters of your baptism. When the word of God was preached to you by a friend or family member or a pastor, and God the Holy Spirit created life where there was death inside each and every one of you and made you a new creation, made you part of his family forever. Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus the waters of your baptism when the word of God was preached God gave life you see that's why Jesus waited to go to Bethany so that those guests at that funeral would know so that Mary and Martha Lazarus' sisters would know so that you would know that he is who he says he is without a shadow of the doubt that he is, always will be, the resurrection and the life. 
so that when you are faced with death, brothers and sisters of St. Marcus, you would know with absolute certainty that death has no hold on you. Death has no claim on you. Because death had no claim on Jesus, just as death had no claim on Lazarus. So that when you are on the hospital bed, when you are faced with grief and suffering and pain, you have a promise and a peace that weathers every single storm that stands beside you in every time you shed tears. Because on this side of heaven, there is going to be suffering. And that isn't to say that grief is a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. Your God and Savior himself stands at the tomb of his friend, Lazarus, and weeps. Your God is not emotionally removed from your suffering. The God who knows all things stands beside you in every moment of heartache, every time you are grieving or hurting, And he, in word and sacrament, reminds you and assures you time and time again of the promises buried in Scripture for you. That he is, in fact, the resurrection and the life. That we, as believers on this side of heaven, we, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as we walk through this journey of tears, we carry with us the promise of everlasting life, that there will come a day when death is just but an ushering into eternal life in God's glory, in his presence forever. There will be no more sadness or suffering and nothing but joy and peace forever. We, like Martha, can respond, yes, Lord, I believe. Where is God? That was the question asked when another Jew was hanging. The Lamb of God, as he hung on a cross between a sinful, broken, spiritually dead world and a holy, righteous God. The same Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. There on the cross on Calvary, we find the answer to Elie Wiesel's question. Who is God? The answer is wrapped intimately in sin, suffering, and death. Because for our holy, righteous God to redeem you from sin, suffering, and death, our God took on flesh, and with it all of your sin, he suffered and died. And that same Savior, Jesus, was buried in a tomb. But not for four days. Just for three. Because on the third day he rose. Even more powerfully demonstrating that he is and always will be the resurrection and the life. That just as the grave had no claim or hold on Jesus, it has no claim or hold on you. Those who cling to to Christ have nothing to fear where O oh, death is your victory where O oh, death is your sting death can bark all at once but it has lost its lethal bite because Jesus is the resurrection and the life those who believe in him will live even though they die 
whoever lives and believes in him will never die. Brothers and sisters, do you believe this? May our answer always be Martha's. May our answer always be, yes, Lord, I believe. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, in this world wrought with sin, suffering, and death, direct our eyes, hearts, and ears to you and you alone, the resurrection and the life. Comfort those who mourn with this saving gospel promise. Remind us in word and sacrament who you are, the God who has freed us from sin and death and made us heirs of eternal riches as redeemed saints in your church. It is in your holy name we pray. Amen.